Hey folks, welcome back to another edition of Fire and Ice Sports. Welcome back. It's been a long time coming. Uh, some busy schedules delayed us for a couple weeks, but we are back in action. As always, my name is Evan Smoke here in a rainy Athens, Georgia, a third year student at the University of Georgia. And three hours southeast of me once again, a little bit on the break. I am between destinations is the local wise Bryson Wheeler. Bryson, tell me a little bit about the tour and your internship so far this semester that's kept, you know, other than my exploits, you know, a little bit a little bit of us off air. Yeah, I mean, it's been a very wild trip so far. And we started off in West Palm Beach a couple weeks ago and then went to Daytona and now we're home for a couple games and then we leave for Jacksonville this upcoming week and it's been a great time so far. It has been a lot of work, not much sleep at times, but it's just been a blast. And I've been meeting, you know, so many awesome people, such as Matt Adams. I got to meet Tim Kirkjian, ESPN announcer. I actually got to hand beer to Johnny Damon in the press box while he was on our broadcast the other night. So it's just been a fun time meeting people like that. And it's been a great time. But Yeah, absolutely. Sounds like it. Yeah, but let's get into it, and we're going to go all the way back to the Super Bowl because we have not recapped that yet. So, you know, it was a really, really good game, just like most of us expected. The Eagles were favored by a point. The Chiefs come out, though, strong, and this was just a high-scoring game, 38-35. to The Chiefs end up pulling it out. You know, Patrick Mahomes wins the MVP, even though he wasn't anything spectacular in this game. And he did just enough, but Isaiah Pacheco did a lot for him. Travis Kelsey did a lot for him. And the defense really stepped up in the second half. You know, they allowed 24 in the first half, only ended up giving uh, giving up 11 in the second half. Jalen Hurts had a good game. So did Miles Sanders, A.J. Brown, Devontae Smith. I mean, it was just a really fun, high-scoring offensive game. But give us your thoughts on it real quick. Yeah, it was a great Super Bowl. Probably one of the better ones that I can remember. Uh, Eagles lead most of the way. Chiefs come back, claw their way back by scoring on every possession in the second half. Uh, hats off to the halftime adjustments between Eric Bieniemy and Andy Reid. Uh, they did a really great job of, you know, in-game, uh, seeing what was on the field and making the right um, adjustments to get them back to the uh, top of the pinnacle. Once again, like you said, Patrick Mahomes wasn't anything specular, uh, spectacular. Um, it was a spectacle to see him come back in the second half after a, I wouldn't say a nasty injury, but an injury that left him severely limping, at least in the in the first half. Um, you know, he kind of battled that all um, postseason, you know, a little bit with his ankles. So shout out to the Chiefs medical staff and whatever random assortment of drugs they shot up in him to get him to play the rest of that game. Um, but once again, hats off to the Chiefs. I need a lot of words. I expected them to have a, not a down year, but, you know, a lesser year. Um, you know, I did not think they'd make it all the way back here. And, you know, with an assortment of, you know, Pacheco, seventh round running back. Uh, they're Obviously, their wide receiver room was not the best, but even more depleted when they lost Tyreek Hill. But people like Juju Smith-Schuster, MVS, uh, Sky Moore, who was had a very quiet rookie year, made some plays in this game, which really elevated the Chiefs uh, wide receiver core from kind of mediocre to a little bit dangerous. And that's exactly what uh, they needed in the second half, and they got it, so. Hats off to them. You already mentioned the Chiefs' defense stepping up. That's kind of – I wouldn't say a weak point, but that has been the Achilles heel. The offense was never really the question. Um, but they stood up, stood strong. Jalen Hurts, great performance even in a loss. Uh, did everything he could to win that game for his Eagles. And, you know, we I, we haven't mentioned it yet, and I know it's probably a little lost its luster now that it's weeks after the fact, but there was the holding call at the end of the game. Um, it was holding. James Bradbury uh, admitted it was holding. Um 
I don't know if I love the call just because it kind of decided the game and it wasn't egregious, but it was the right call, as we both know, and as both of us do officiate, they never tell you don't call for the moment, you call the game. And if it was a foul, you got to call the foul. It was a foul and they called it. It ended up being the difference in the game, but at the same time, for all the Eagles whiners who, who could point at that call, you blew the second biggest halftime lead in Super Bowl history. Now the first was the Falcons, obviously, but the second biggest halftime, the second biggest halftime lead in Super Bowl history, had many opportunities to put the game away and just couldn't do it. So once again, hats off to Andy Reid and the Chiefs. Yeah, I also want to shout out Kadarius Tony, who had a receiving touchdown in that game and the longest punt return in uh, Super Bowl history at sixty yards. He really boosted them in the second half, right there, late in the game. Props to him, you know, stepping up like you said without Tyreek Hill here, Tyreek there you know people had to step up this year Kadarius Tony, Travis Kelsey MBS Sky Moore all these guys had to step up and they did in the moments that it mattered do you have anything else on this game or NFL wise before we move on yeah we can talk a little bit about the NFL I mean since our last time we've had the two Eagles coordinators get jobs uh, Stamps Thane Steichen get the Colts job don't know much about him but it seems to be a pattern of Colts OCs to Eagle coach or Eagles OC to Colts coach so that pattern continues there. And then defensive coordinator Jonathan Gannon, who had a very rough second half, uh, gets the Arizona Cardinals job and then has one of the weirdest press conferences of all time where he looks like a very awkward 10th grade science teacher. Um, so interested to see how that experiment works down in the desert. Um, but another big thing uh, that's, I wouldn't say questioning, but it seemed inevitable, um, Eric Bieniemy after getting passed over for his 17th head coaching job. 17 head coaching, 16 to 17 with Colts and Cardinals because he both had that. He leaves the Chiefs and becomes the associate head coach slash offense coordinator at the Commanders under Ron Rivera. I don't think it was any diss to Andy Reid. I think Andy Reid was very supportive in it. But it almost seems like, for some reason, because this guy has commanded one of the best offenses for the last five, seven years, however long he's been in that position, um, they had to get out of the shadow of the Chiefs to prove that he was head coaching material. I don't know why exactly, because I would have given him a job multiple years ago. Um, but now he's in Washington to see what he can do with Sam Howell. Yeah, I mean, all very interesting moves there. And like you said, maybe it was just getting out of Kansas City because, you know, Andy Reid does a lot with offense. A lot of the play calling goes to him. And maybe people are seeing that and saying, Ugh, I wonder – you know, how much of a role he does have in that. So going somewhere else, finding his footing there, and if he, you know, bursts onto the scene somewhere else, he's definitely going to get a job. He already should have by this point sometime. But also am very interested to see what happens with Brian Johnson, who was the Eagles offense, or the Eagles quarterback coach who was Florida's offense coordinator a few years ago. And I rave about him all the time. You know, I talked about him being a name for the Florida job when it came up before Billy Napier took it. I'm just interested to see where his career goes from here because I think he's very capable of being at least an NFL offense coordinator, if not that, even a head coach maybe. So I believe he's already been promoted to offense coordinator. Yeah, I wasn't sure about that. Like I said, y'all are going to have to excuse me some because I have not been able to watch too much sports in the last two weeks. But let me. Somebody should fact check me on that, but I'm like 80% sure he's been named OC. And Matt Nagby, former Bears head coach, is OC in Kansas City now. So. Oh, man, did I lose you? Uh, no. I'm, I'm just trying to look, uh, see about 
Bron Johnson. I, can't. I know that, I know Nagby is OC at Kansas City now. Yeah. Okay. Well, I'm I'm not sure what's the case with Bron Johnson. Maybe it's you know a midpoint right there. Who knows? But do you have anything else before we move on? Um, one last final thing in the NFL. A lot of reports are coming out this morning that the Bears are heavily leaning towards trading the number one pick. Um, I don't hate the move. You don't need a franchise quarterback unless you think C.J. Stroud or Bryce Young are head and shoulders above Justin Fields. I don't think either of those pro- – coming out of college that you can guarantee that. So maybe trading down and taking a Will Anderson or a Jalen Carter um, is the better move there with getting the assortment of riches that comes with trading it. Yeah, I can agree with that. All right, well, let's move on to the NBA, and I want you to talk about your Atlanta Hawks, who just fired their coach and then hired Quinn Snyder to be their head coach to a five-year deal. So why don't you give us a rundown on that? Well, first off, thank the basketball gods that named McMillan's God. I know he was the savior two, two, half, two and a half years ago, and he was. He was the guy who came in after an abysmal hire in Lloyd Pierce, who I did not like since the moment it happened. And he came in, stabilized the Hawks, and took us all the way to the Eastern Conference Finals. There's something about what he did that season that would never be forgotten in Hawks lore, and we thank him a lot for that. For these past two years, he has been increasingly and increasingly showing his age and not changing with the times. The lack of in-game adjustments, the the very lack of holding on to timeouts, not calling it, not stopping runs. Um, and I'm, I'm not saying that's what a timeout is supposed to be there for, but it, when it's there, you have to use it because there was multiple times we there'd be an 8-0 run that would turn into a 20-5 run, and then Nate would call the timeout. And we're like, why? Why would you do it then? He was not meshing well with Trey Young. He was not messing well with John Collins. DeHonte Murray, who got traded this offseason, he was not a fan of that move and made it very obvious. He didn't play Jalen Johnson on Yeko and Conway or A.J. Griffin in late-game situations uh, unless he had people in foul trouble, which forced his hand. Um, since the move coming out of the All-Star break, Joe Prunty went 2-0, and blowing out people, except for the Nets last night, who we won on a buzzer beater, which was a low game. But he blew out the number one defense in the Cleveland Cavaliers because he trusted his people. He made in-game adjustments. And he was able – he kept Onyeka and A.J. on the floor for longer times. So it wasn't rocket science. I mean, an, an assistant coach who had been there all year saw the problems and fixed it within two games. Uh, now Joe, Prun- Joe Prunty, or Prunty, I don't know how to say his last name, 2-0, great guy. Hope um, Quinn Snyder keeps him on staff. He'll at least be on staff the rest of this season because Quinn cannot bring his own people until next year. Um, I'll tell you one thing. This was the hire right away. I, I went, when they fired Nate, I wanted Quinn from the beginning. I thought he did very well in Utah. He's a former lead assistant under Mike Bouldenhoser during that era of Hawks basketball. I thought he's very intelligent. And what he did out West um, with, the, with the Jazz team that had Rudy Gobert and Donovan Mitchell, I'm not saying they weren't untalented. He kept consistently winning. His postseason resume wasn't the best, but the Western Conference, when he was a head coach, was formidable. I mean, he was playing the likes of the stacked Warriors, the stacked Lakers, a Nuggets team which consistently is a top three seed in the West. He wasn't losing to the Thunder and the T-Wolves. He was just running into some of the biggest juggernauts in NBA history. I think he could do a lot better now. He's got a little bit more versatile roster, I believe, in Atlanta. He's going to have a little bit more say because him and Landry Fields are good buddies. I think this is a really good hire, and it sets us up for a great era. Now, this season is all going to be a wash. Could we easily come back and make some noise in the playoffs? Yes, but I'm not going to hold that against Snyder. 
Uh, this team has already gone through bumps and bruises and lost games. We had no business losing early on in the year, which could really hurt us when it comes to seeding in a couple weeks. We're 31-30, and 30, and we're the eighth seed in the West. I imagine we get out of the play-in. I think we get up to six, um, but we'll see how Snyder meshes with the team so far. All right. It's going to be interesting to see. I'm, you know, the most educated on the NBA side of things, but like you said, you really like the hire. I do think it's a good hire. We're going to see what happens. I think the Hawks are a really talented team. They are missing, you know, one or two pieces, and I'm still not for sure if, you know, Trey Young is the face of the franchise guy to go win you a championship. But it's going to be interesting to see. Hawks should be on the rise from here. But let's keep it in the NBA, and let's go to talking about LeBron breaking the point record. About two weeks ago, LeBron came, became the league's all-time scoring leader. And, you know, it was a great moment for him, the franchise, Akron, Ohio, everybody, you know, associated with him and his career. It was a great moment there him breaking Kareem Abdul-Jabbar's record, but what are your thoughts on this? Well, it was inevitable, um, and we and I think we've kind of known that for at least the last two seasons. He had enough gas from the tank to get there, and the performance level that he was playing at, it was only a matter of time. Um, he got to do it on Crypto.com, Staples Center, whatever the arena's called now. Got to do it on the home floor. Did it over the Thunder. Kareem in attendance, Magic Johnson in attendance. I mean, one of the biggest games, you know, celebrity star-wise that you could have ever imagined. I um, mean, he got to do it in his in his in his home arena. Um, so I'm happy for him. I, I think um, I think it was I knew it was going to happen, but it, it's great that it's already happened. And, and I think now where he's at, where it's like thirty eight thousand something something something, I think it's a very good possibility because the first player in NBA history to hit forty thousand. I mean, I, I think he can score another thousand fourteen thousand you know, three or whatever, 1,300, 1,400, 1,500. I don't know the exact number, but I definitely think he could get there. Uh, he's definitely going to play at least two more seasons because I think he is going to get – he's going to play to at least Bronny gets in the league. He's always said that. I don't – his body seems to be holding up to it. Um, barring a big injury or something, you know, unforeseen, he's going to play at least another two seasons. And there's no doubt in my mind he can't score 1,000 points in two seasons. Absolutely. I agree with you there. Do you have anything else in the NBA? The All-Star game was a shit show. <laughs> Sorry yes. for cussing, but it was so bad. Um, the slam dunk contest, we didn't talk about Mac McClung. Um, a lot of people think he might have saved the dunk contest. I don't know. Um, it's it's going to go either three ways. It's going to stay the same. It's going to, you know, rejuvenate some of the bigger stars uh, to come back and win, come back and participate in it because Mac McClung, who had a really – historic, you know, mixtape of high school and college dunks. But this dude was a G League player who got signed to a two-way deal two days before the dunk contest, and now he's coming into the league and winning it. So it could rejuvenate some bigger names to come back and be like, well, we don't want some rando winning it. Or, and and this is a little bit far-fetched and a little bit um, out of the ordinary, but I wouldn't hate it. So I don't know if you know much about basketball lore, but in the early 2000s, have you ever heard of the And One Tour? Mm, was it three on three? Thing? No, it was five v five. Okay, then no. So, and so one was, you know, obviously it's a big basketball company, and what yeah. they did is they went out and found high schoolers, street hoopers, street ballers, co- low level college stars, and they signed them with these professional deals, and they would do a world tour or a national tour, almost like a better version of the whole Harlem Globetrotters in a sense. 
Um, but these guys had these mixtapes, had these, you know, they were very technical. Like people were, there were some that were dunkers, some were three point specialists, some were, you know, crossover guys. It just depended, like there was attributes that were like really heavily done and it was kind of emphasized for the games. Now it was competitive, unlike Harlem, where Harlem just beats the crap out of New Jersey every game. Um, but it was more competitive. So kind of like in the vein of Matt McClung, who had all these mixtapes, who had, you know, this highlight reel of dunks in high school and college, but it never really made it on the professional level. They gave him an opportunity and he took the most of it, didn't miss a dunk, and almost had a perfect night other for Lisa Leslie's 49 when everybody else rated him a 50 on that. So maybe we go to that. Maybe we go find these college and G League and, you know, street stars who have all these crazy dunk videos in the world of social media. It's not hard to find. Let's put them in a contest. Let's actually get a dunk contest back. And maybe if we can't get some big names in it, we could at least get a good show out of it. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing. People just want a good show. We, Yes, it would be awesome to see, you know, the LeBrons and the John Morants and people like that. But honestly, at the end of the day, we just want a good show. Looking back at Aaron Gordon and Zach Levine. I mean, those are two not really big names in the NBA, but they put on a show. And that's really all we want. And it hasn't really been that the last few years. I didn't get to watch the the dunk contest this past year, so I'm not sure. I mean, I knew Mac McClung won it, but not really sure how good of a competition it was. I did watch some of the All-Star game. It was terrible, like you said. I, I don't know. I mean, the NBA and NFL, it just seems like they're about to just need to do away with the All-Star games. I think the MLBs is still fine because – I mean, the MLB, like, you can't really play a lower or lesser version of your game. You still have to play baseball. You cannot hustle in the NBA and do what they do. You can play flag football like they do now in the NFL and stuff like that, which I wasn't a huge fan of either. But MLB, you really can't downplay it at all. So, you know, I think there's a still find the other two definitely need some work. Do you have yeah. any thoughts there, though? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's it's the MLB has been so longevity, or like it's still been good because for many years that's how you decided home how you decided home field advantage. I know they don't do that anymore, but at least kept the game competitive. Plus, like you said, like you touched on baseball, it's a lot harder to play lesser baseball, uh, quote unquote, in some type of format. But that's what these the NFL and the MLB and the, excuse me, the NBA. Have got to find a way to do. They've got to find a way to make this game meaningful. I don't know. I don't have a solution off the top of my head, but the, there's people who get paid a lot more money than I do to figure that out. The game's got to become meaningful, or we're going to have this, you know, offensive onslaught where we've got Damian Lillard taking the ball three steps and chucking half court shots, and Jason Tatum scoring 55 points on freaking 35 shots or something insane. So we'll figure it out. Yep. All right, well, let's move on to the MLB real quick. And we pretty much have two things we want to talk about here. The first one is the new pitch clock rule. So if you don't know what we're talking about, pitchers have 15 seconds from when they get the ball to when they have to have thrown the pitch. And if they don't, then it's automatic ball for, you know, in the count. And Viper says, well, the batters, you know, have to be in the box ready to hit. They they have a lot of time too. I'm not sure about all the technicalities. A batter, a batter has to be in the box ready to hit when there's eight seconds left on the pitch clock. Okay, 
All right. So, yeah, here, there you go. No one understand the whole rule by now, pretty much. But I love the rule. I mean, last year, the average spring training game, I think it was three hours and 13 minutes. This year, the average so far is like two hours and 39 minutes. And that just is going to bring more and more people to watch the sport. I, nobody really wants to sit there and watch relievers take 40 seconds between a pitch and pick off and then shake off their catcher three straight times to get a new signal and then finally throw a pitch. They can't do that now with this pitch clock rule. I absolutely love it. It's going to speed up the game. You're not going to see batters stepping out every pitch to readjust their batting gloves, to spit in the dirt, you know, look at their coach act like they're getting a sign when they're not doing anything except hitting. And it's just going to speed up the game a lot and I think make it a lot more interesting. What are your thoughts on it? I don't hate it. Uh, I, like you said, I mean, it's going to bring more people to the sport. It's going to lower, like, time at the ballpark. So it's not really that big of a deal. Now, there's two things I want to talk about. First off, it was a tweet that Tyler Matzik sent out, and it was the average MLB game was, like, one or two minutes longer or shorter than the average NFL game. So my question is, and I understand football has a lot more draw, there's a lot more contact, there's a lot more, quote-unquote, highlight plays. There's always more action in the NFL. But does the MLB drastically need to change their time to keep fans more engaged versus the NFL? Because I mean, you could still have people 35 seconds running on the clock. You could still have quarterbacks talking to the OCs and then running to the huddles. And I, and I get that the NFL is moving more and more to a fast-paced, air raid, no-huddle like style of play. But in Matzik said, do we need to shorten the game or do we need to make the game more entertaining? Both. And that's and so I'm okay with that answer because I think both can be true. I don't think it's an either or situation, but it's something to think about when it comes to this question. And we talked a little bit about it off air earlier and you compared this to when the NBA implemented shot clock. I think it's very true. People are going to get adjusted to this and it's going to become, you know, human nature, baseball nature, player nature, you know, probably halfway to the season. However, I don't like this. So obviously by now we're talking the pitch clock made a lot of waves the other day when they called a pitch clock violation on Chris Conley or whatever Conley, some spring trainer for the Braves, who was in the not set in the batter's box with eight seconds left, um, in a bottom ninth, bases loaded two out situation. And this this strikeout, this called strikeout by the pitch clock violation into the game and ended it in a tie. I've got no problem with that if the catcher was set. If you go back and look at this video or you see this replay, the catcher is standing up. The pitcher's not even looking at the catcher. And Conley is in the box. He's just he's, – he's stepping – about to step into the box. And nobody is set. And the violation happens and it ends the game. I understand that there is eight seconds left to count. The catcher could have got down. The pitcher could have got ready. But how are you going to end the game on a violation like that if the catcher's not even set and ready to receive the pitch, I think there is some, and it's a little bit, I like it. I think it needs to be, there needs to be some adjustments because it's not fair to the batter to make him wait in there for an extra five seconds when he's not even going to receive the ball anywhere close to time. Yeah. I mean, I agree. And it's not a perfect rule by any means. There are some tweaks that need to be made, such as what you were just discussing. And also, I would not be opposed for the pitch clock to go to 20 seconds instead of 15. I'm not 
opposed to 15, but I do think it's probably a little quick, especially since the rule's just coming into place. But I'm not opposed to it going to 20 either. But, I mean, it's not a perfect rule. It's going to be tweaked, I'm sure, in the next, you know, year or so. But it's going to be interesting to see. But let's keep it on the topic of baseball and the Braves, and let's just talk about their spring training so far and, you know, what the future holds for this season. So I I don't ever look into spring training games too much. Like, I don't care if the Braves go – 20 and 10 or if they go 0 and 30 in spring training I don't care one bit because you have people who play like your starters may get two innings in one day the next day they may play five and then they may sit out two days I mean you just never know what's going to happen in spring training but I like to look at individual performances because I think that's very telling as well and you have two Braves who have been absolutely put on a show so far and it's Matt uh, Matt Olson and Max Freed They've been absolutely awesome so far this spring, and I think the offense as a whole has been great so far. And I think maybe I jumped the gun a little bit, you know, a month or two ago. There were some podcasts where I was bashing the Braves and saying they were going to finish third in the division, probably behind the Mets and the Phillies. I don't know if I want to say that anymore, just because I think this offense is going to be absolutely awesome. I mean, it's the same offense you had last year. Plus, you get Sean Murphy, plus you get Ozzy Albies back, and you get a healthy Ronald Acuna Jr. The problem still is, though, I am worried about the bullpen, and I'm worried about your fourth and fifth pitchers. That is why I think it will be a very, very close divisional race. I'm going to go ahead and throw out my pick for the winner just because I don't know when I'll be able to do another podcast. I do think the Braves pull it out by an absolute hair over the Phillies. I think the Mets are going to be a few games behind both. I'm not as high on the Mets as most people are, and we've seen the past few years them choking a lot. So I'm going with the Braves, probably about a one or two game win in the division over the Phillies, and then the Mets about four or five behind them. So give us your thoughts on the Braves and spring training so far and what you think the future holds for them this year. Yeah, spring training, like you said, Matt Olson finally struck out for the first time today after like four games, so – I'll take that every day if we get one strikeout in four games. Um, he's been raking. Freed had a great pitching start. Um, we did. We haven't been doing so well team wise, like performance. I think we're o one and one. If I'm not mistaken, maybe one one and one with the tie. Um, but the one loss was a seven zero loss to the Yankees on yesterday or Saturday. I don't remember exactly. Um, but your entire lineup was people I didn't know, and like the people I did know was like. Uh, Adrian's are playing second and people like, you know, Chadwick Trump playing catcher. So we're talking third stringers getting some starts. And obviously that's what spring training's for. I mean, it's people like Kevin Pillar trying to make the roster or people like RC or, you know, a hair Adrianza trying to figure out where they fit in on the bench platoon. So I'm not mad. Obviously that's what Snickers going to do. You're not going to win every game. You're probably not even, you might not even be 500 because you're trying to figure out bench pieces more than anything, because you're kind of, you're starting, you know, 15 people, you know, between your bullpen starters and uh, lineup, that's set. You don't need to figure that out. We're good. So we're going to be fine. Um, I think the Braves win the division. I think it might be close. Like you said, I could see probably a two to three game, you know, division win. 
uh, over the Phillies. Uh, I thought you were leaning towards the Mets, and I was going to laugh because mm-hmm. you can't pick the Mets before the season. You can't even pick the, pick the Mets in season. you got to pick the Mets with, like, four weeks to go when they got, like, a five-game lead. Like, that's a, that's about the only time you can trust the Mets. And even then, I don't even know if I'd be confident. No. So, um, I think we're going to be just fine. You know, I, I, I tried to qualify your statements months ago when we talked about it. I think we're going to be just fine. Um, I, I love, you know, the Murphy and Darno switch between catcher and DH. I think that's going to be so formidable. The fact that Marcelo Zuna still has a job is questionable to be, but whatever. So that's just kind of how I feel. Uh, I'm excited for Vaughn Grissom. I think he's he's been fine so far. Uh, his, his bat's a little slow. Um, he's kind of picking it up. I think he's I think he had a decent day today. Don't hold me to that. Um, but his defense has been fine. You know, first first ball of spring training went right to him and it was routine play. So I mean, obviously routine. He's not going to make mistakes. It. it the question becomes, are we going to get the web gems like Dansby gave us? Probably not to the same extent, but I think we're going to get a flashy play here and there out of this kid. Um, I know for a while we never thought he'd be the opening day shortstop. He's going to be the opening day shortstop. But if Ron Washington, who continues to rave and trust and believe this kid is the future of the shortstop for the Atlanta Braves uniform, I, I, he knows a lot more than me. I've got to stop and let him have it at this point. We'll see how he does through the first half of the season. I wouldn't rule out a trade deadline trade if Vaughn was just absolutely abysmal in the first half, but I don't think we're going to get that. I think we're going to get pretty good production out of the, I guess that would be the sixth spot. Yeah. And you know, also some people are talking about Orlando Arcia at shortstop. He's not the answer either there defensively. People forget because he hadn't been terrible defensively in the, you know, years he's been with the Braves, but he also hasn't played much defensively. He was last in the league in defensive runs saved when he was the Brewers' shortstop. I mean, he's pretty awful defensively. He has a decent bat, lots of power for, you know, a shortstop. And I, I'd love to see him get a, lots of at-bats this year. But he's not defensively good. And so he's not the answer either. And, you know, maybe, like you said, a trade or two here and there. And that's another reason why I think the Braves can still win the division because – I am worried about the bullpen. I think your top four or five are pretty good. After that, I get a little worried. But we've seen in the last two or three years, AA go after lots of bullpen help at the trade deadline. I mean, when we won it all, we went and got, who was it, Chris Martin and uh, Shane Green Shane Green and Will Smith. I mean, we went and got all three of them. They were absolutely awesome that year. And I think maybe you see something else like that happen this year. So you just never know with Alex Anthopoulos, and I think he's one of, if not the best GMs in baseball. So just because of that, I will say the Braves win the division by a hair. Do you have any other thoughts in the MLB? I do not. All right. Well, the last thing I have that I want to talk on is the TPC. We Okay, so in golf, you have your four majors, and then you have the TPC, which is played just south of Jacksonville and Ponte Vedra. And it is an awesome tournament. If you ever have the chance to go there, please go. But it's <coughs> next week, and I want to talk about it just because I doubt I'll be able to do another podcast before then. So I want to give you know a few guys that I'm looking forward to, who, and then I'll give you my pick on who's going to win, and then I want to get your thoughts on it. So I'll give a couple of guys that I think are going to fare well this week. I'm going to start off with Will Zalatoris. I mean, the guy – he finally got his first win on tour last year. 
Hasn't really won in a while, like you were mentioning earlier. And But the guy's just always up in the leaderboards. I mean, he's always finishing second, third, in, especially in all these majors and big tournaments. This is not a major, but it is a very huge tournament. It's practically the fifth major. I think Will Zalator spares well this year. He has he finished top for six two years ago there. I expect a top ten finish out of him. Another guy is I, I do think John Rom finishes really well. He only has one top ten at TPC Sawgrass. So I do not expect him to win this week, especially with how much he's been winning lately. He's won three times this year already. It's super hard to win on tour. I don't expect him to win this week, but I do expect a top 10, top 15 finish out of him just because of how great of golf he's been playing. But I definitely would not bet on him to win it just because he never plays really well at TPC Saltgrass. But my pick to win it this week is Rory McIlroy. He ended up winning the TPC in 2019, I think it was. And since then, he's just played really well there. He's playing some good golf right now. Not great for him, but he's playing good golf. But when he is playing great golf, he's the best player on tour. He's almost unbeatable when his game is on because he doesn't have a flaw in his game. So I'm going to rock with right now Rory McIlroy. And my pick may change because we're still a week, week and a half out. I'll go Rory McIlroy. Do you have a pick to win this week? I want to ask a question because this guy's been a little bit quiet. So – if he's injured or not playing, let me know. The TPC kind of strikes me as a Marikawa course. Um, I don't know much about it because I don't watch a lot of golf, but Marikawa seems like somebody who could do very well here. Um, I expect him to finish well. We talked a little bit earlier. I, I like the Fitzpatrick name you threw out, Matt Fitzpatrick. Yes. He seems, he seems like to do very well here at the TPC. He could be competitive. Um, Georgia boy Chris Kirk just won the Honda yesterday. Um he doesn't do well at TPC, uh, but he's hot. And, you know, we talked a little bit about John Rahm. If you're hot, you're hot. Depending, it doesn't matter the course. You know, you're still going to play pretty well. Um, I got a chance to interview Kirk the other day, and he seemed very excited for the players. So I think he could do very – he could be very competitive. Um, but I think I'm going to go with either Mark Howard or Fitzpatrick. They just seem like the names to be limited knowledge here, so don't don't – don't rest your bed or anything on my uh, golf expertise, but those two seem like hot names going into Ponte Vedra in a couple weeks. Yeah, well, Morikawa is going to play, and I think he plays well, but I would not expect him to win. Maybe not even a top 10 finish just because Morikawa has not been playing great golf in the past, you know, probably six to eight months. He's been really struggling. He did have some injuries last year, and I think that had to do a lot with it. So maybe he gets healthy, and maybe he gets back on track. He hasn't played much in the early years so far, but the guy never hits bad shots, really. So I think he's a good name to look at this week. Not sure about a win, though, but probably a top 20 finish. Yep. All right. Well, do you want to get into our bold predictions? Bold predictions. Um. So, yeah, I'll start off. We get – Quinn Snyder on the bench for the first time tomorrow night against the Wizards. Wizards aren't that good, but I expect pretty big win. I think um, I talked a little bit about it earlier. There was some there were some conversations that we captured on court between Donovan Mitchell and Trey Young. Donovan Mitchell was raving about Snyder to Young, talking about how much development and insight he got from him. I think Snyder could do a lot for Trey, not even on the assistant point standpoint, because Trey seems to have that on luck. But I think Snyder could do some work on his defense, maybe get a little bit more out of him. You know, his defense has improved this year with DeHonte Murray in the backcourt. 
He's not having to guard the primary ball handler every time or having to commit a mismatch. Um, so I think we're going to get a lot. I expect a pretty big win. I'll take 20 points tomorrow night over the Wizards. All right. Okay. Um, well, you know, I was trying to think of one, and for some reason – just something about banana ball popped up in my head, you know, I guess just because I've been all around that all year. So I'm trying to think of kind of two right here, one, you know, away from. I'll tell you what, Matt Olson's been absolutely raking. I love what I've seen out of him. I think you're going to see 40 homers out of Matt Olson this year. I don't know if that's too bold. I think a lot of people, you know, expect 30 to 35 out of them, but I'll go with 40 out of him. But I also want to go to banana ball real quick. If you don't know anything about the Savannah Bananas, well, you should. But, so, the Bananas and the Party Animals play each other practically every game this year. We do have about 12 games that the Bananas are going to play another team, another minor league team or independent team or something like that. But I think the Bananas and the Party Animals are set to square off about 75 times this year. The party animals are already up 3-1-1 to one in the series. I think they win the series of the year by at least 10 games. The party animals are such a better baseball team. The bananas are, you know, kind of a lot of the TikTokers and social media influences such as Jackson Olsen. And, yes, they are really good baseball players, but they're just not what the party animals are, man. I mean, they are loaded. They've been kicking the bananas butts. I think they win the series lead by at least 10 games this year. We'll have to keep us updated. All right. Well, do you have anything else before we wrap up? I don't other than thank you guys for being patient with us. You'll probably have to be patient with us for most of the rest of the spring semester. I mean, obviously, we'll get Jackson to go on here some. I've been a little busy with just my nurse and, you know, officiating conferences across the Southeast, I just came back from Old Miss last night, so it's going to get a little more busier. We're coming up on spring break, you know, maybe try to do a show before I go off to the beach, but if not, we're definitely, um, definitely be patient with us, but we'll definitely make sure we're getting to podcasting, maybe not every week, but at least every two weeks. All right, sounds good, and let's wrap it up with Go Braves, Go Hawks, and Go Falcons.